You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. Matt Levine and Lila Bromberg back with you after about a week or two off. Um, But plenty to talk about here with the basketball seasons in full swing and conference play. Um, and then in the future, we'll get to all the fall and spring sports that are about to kick off. But we'll go back to the basketball side of things. For the men's team, it's been inconsistency. And for the women's team, they've been really good all season after one hiccup back on track yesterday um, with a huge win over Michigan State. And they seem like they might be a national contender yet again, uh, ranked seventh in the country. But we'll start with the men's side. It's that inconsistency that's really kind of been – a problem in some games so far for this team in conference play. Yeah, for sure. I think with last year's basketball team, I knew what I was going to get going every night. There was never a night where I didn't think they were going to win, if I'm being completely honest. And if they ever got down in a game, I had a feeling they were going to come back. I remember at Michigan State last year, they were down by a lot. And I said, we better prep an article in case they come back. And I remember our other, our other editors thought I was a little crazy. And then, of course, they come back. So I don't have that feeling at all this year. Um, and you kind of saw it against Wisconsin where they just couldn't complete a comeback. They just kind of don't have that offensive firepower. They can't consistently defend. And it's just, it's just been strange. You know, they have these road upsets, somehow have three road upsets for a first time in program history over – top 25 teams and then just completely lay lay an egg in other games and and look horrific. And I think throughout they've looked really horrible on offense regardless, but you just don't know what you're going to get with this team in terms of effort, in terms of offense. I don't think that the team's kind of taking the right shots or being run the right right way on offense. It's just, you don't know what you're going to get. And it's just a weird, season for his team yeah and coach Turgeon said it earlier in the week that despite the pandemic and everything going on it's it's the weirdest team he's had almost in terms of the makeup of it when you lose a one of the best Maryland players ever in Anthony Cowan and then you lose Jalen Smith they didn't really have I mean they do have guys coming up but nobody's really taken on that that role of I'm gonna put the team on my back late in the game and complete a comeback and they and you don't have a presence down low like that too but they flirted with the comeback against Wisconsin down 18 at halftime um, where they put up 20 points in the half which was horrific I mean their shots were not falling in that game and they were getting good looks they just were not going in Um, but most of those looks came from mid-range or or from beyond the arc and we'll talk about that in a little bit but then they open up the half on an 8-0 run. All of a sudden, it's a 10-point game in the second half. And they start to chip away a little bit. They cut it back down to three at one point. And then all of a sudden, Micah Potter just hits a enormous shot. Brad Davison hit a shot. And there you have it. Wisconsin never gotten – Wisconsin never really looked like they were flat after that. Um, once they let Maryland back within three, it was pretty much all Wisconsin after that. Um, so, in a game like – what you're saying last year where they were down 17 or 15 in the second half and they come all the way back. There were so many times that that happened and it wasn't just Anthony Cowan making those shots. It was Daryl Morcell against Minnesota 
but for long stretches, you have got you. They had guys that would. I mean, Anthony Cowan was one of the best closers last year in college basketball. Um, just a guy that is clutch and can win a game no matter what the circumstance is. And now the the identity of the team not really having that alpha guy that can score at will and just do anything what it takes to win. It's it's really tough that I think I think everybody wants to be that guy right now. And that's kind of the problem is it's the selfishness sometimes where they they don't find the open guy because they want to take the shot. Um, so I think that's really one of the issues right now. Uh, but if you're talking last year, a game where they're down 18 and a half, you and I both know that they probably would have completed the comeback, at least tied it up. And here's how bad it was, right? So Wisconsin did not score for the last seven minutes. During that span, Maryland scored four points. Like that that's just not acceptable. Wavis offense is it's just consistently they're not shooting the ball well they're not taking advantage of opportunities and you know the right people aren't often getting the ball and you know you've 20 points at halftime and half of those are coming from Dante Scott uh, who then doesn't get as many shots in a second but half those are coming from Dante Scott Um, eight of those are in the paint uh, four are coming, I believe, from the three-throw line. Or no, sorry, it was ten in the paint, four from a three-throw line, and the other six were from two triples from Dante Scott. And you're taking 14 triples in that half and making two of them. And it seems like every game you're just sitting around uh, the arc and passing the ball. And I think the thing that's bothered me the most is the lack of off-ball movement. It's when they are moving, it's great, but they consistent they don't consistently have off-ball movement. And when you don't have guys that are clutch shooters, you need to be moving off the ball. Yeah, I mean, you look at the two games against Michigan and Yes, or on 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 uh, on Wednesday when they play Wisconsin, you and I are both at that game. You can, I mean, it, it might be tough to see on the TV at home, but when we're able to cover these games in person, you really see how these powerhouse Big Ten teams move off the ball and pass the ball, and that's why they score so much. Um, and with Michigan. Was I mean, Michigan's Michigan. Yeah, I mean, Michigan was phenomenal at moving off the ball when Mike Smith has the ball in his hands. Dickinson's running all over the perimeter of the paint, trying to get open in position in the post. And you have Franz Wagner coming off screens. You have Livers moving all over the place. It's just so much harder for a defense to get set when that happens. And there was a specific play I remember from this Wisconsin game where – I think Ayala jumped at Dimitri Trice's pump fake of a shot, and that got the entire defense out of position. And they then Morcel had to help on defense, and they made about four passes. I think everybody touched the ball until uh, Anderson was able to make a wide-open three. So the ability of just Wisconsin's passing the ball and moving off the ball to find the open person is why they are a top-15 team. And 
that was something that Maryland did really well last year was passing the ball and finding the open guy. But they talked about earlier in the year, the selfishness, and it's, it, it really didn't look like it went away uh, in, in this game at least. Yeah, I mean, Sam uh, touched on it in his film breakdown. There were so many plays, especially for Eric, where he is just was shooting contested threes with so much time left in the clock. I don't think he should be the one handling the ball. I don't think he has the – I think he's been a bit too, too selfish, if I'm being honest. Um, he has come up clutch in a lot of big moments, but when you have that much time in the clock left, there's no reason why you should be taking a contested three without trying to pass the ball and get something going. And then everyone else is just standing around on the arc. How do you expect to get any offense going, you know, doing things that way? And, um, you know, Turgeon said after the game that he was impressed with part of their defense to hold Wisconsin to the amount of points they did to 61. But Wisconsin is only averaging 67.2 points on the season for Big Ten games, uh, 71.9 on the season. So, I mean, that's not really a big deal. Um, the, the offense is just so bad at times. You know, you look at, at field goal percentages and you only have two games in, in Big Ten play where they're shooting above 48%. That's it. Um, from the field and then you look at behind the arc and they just can't get it going in terms of conference games oh sorry there's yeah there's only one where they shot above that because Wingate is in the middle of the schedule so they shot 50 percent at Wisconsin when they picked up that win but they haven't been able to shoot it above 58 for the most part they're shooting below 40 percent in a lot of games this season um you've had two, three Big Ten games that way. Um, they're shooting under 44% in one, two, three, four, five. I mean, it's just consistently – it's like seven games under um, 44% in Big Ten play. It just hasn't looked good. And then you look at behind the arc, they shot – 30% versus Wisconsin, 34.8 against Minnesota, 21.1% against Michigan. Even Illinois, it's only it's it's 40%, but there there's so many games where they're shooting just like in the 28 to you know, 35 range. Um yet they're taking all of these threes and consistently they're not falling because like you said there isn't the off-ball movement and specifically against Wisconsin they scored 38 of their 70 points in that first matchup in the paint yet they're completely just going and that was because of off-ball movement that was a game where they were able to pull off off-ball movement but in this game you're just chucking up threes and that did not make any sense to me yeah, and you mentioned the first game scoring the paint a lot. I mean, there were so many instances where Dante Scott and Daryl Morcel just put their head down and got to the basket and scored. I mean, those two guys are some of the toughest in the conference at getting to the basket. But for some reason, there was really no penetration of, of the paint at all, or even maybe the three-point line. We'll go as far as saying that. 
uh, I, on, on my broadcast, I said something that they were really just passing the ball and handing it off around the perimeter until someone came off. They always screen, do. <laughs> until someone came off a screen and was open for three or a mid range jumper. But the, the few times that they really tried to go into the paint with a backdoor cut from Morcel or someone cuts baseline or um, you pump fake the pass and they go back door, just things like that, they get you to the basket. That's such a more, it's, it's a higher percentage shot the closer you are to the basket. Anybody knows, everybody knows that, even if you don't know basketball. And they really didn't do a good job of getting into the paint. And, and I know they don't have a low post presence offensively. We've been saying that all year. That's really been a struggle. But when you have slashers like Morcel who can get to the basket and Dante Scott, who's a physical forward, who can dribble like a guard as well, they, they have the ability to do it. They just didn't do it against Wisconsin here. Um, and that's something that helped them win the first game. Yeah, that, that's my point exactly, is that there's this inconsistency. There's games where they look good, and then games where they're just, it doesn't even seem like they're trying to move off the ball. And if you've seen that something's proven successful, and you've seen that something has not proven successful, why are you not trying to move more off the ball? It's really simple. It's, it's so hard in this conference, and, and especially for a team that lost – it's two best players. We see it with Michigan State now, too. Losing your best guard, who is a historic player, and losing your best forward as well. Um, and, and trying to, I guess, replenish that talent. They, I wouldn't go as far as saying they really were able to, as Maryland's concerned. But they, they have such they, – they have veterans here that really just need to step up and try to win – try to string a few wins together. Um, they're through the hardest part of their schedule. And if they want to make a tournament here, they're going to have to win games at home in the conference. And they haven't done that yet. Um, but when you talk about the next, com- next couple of games, you have home against Purdue, who they lost to earlier in the season. But I think Maryland's very capable of beating them. Um, you have at Penn State, who I think is the worst team in the conference, if not Northwestern. Home against Ohio State's a tough game. You have to play Minnesota again at home. Those two are tough. Playing Nebraska twice. Rutgers again. Michigan State is struggling mightily. Northwestern you play and Penn State again. So when you talk about playing Michigan twice already, Wisconsin twice already, you played Iowa the one time you were supposed to. Played Illinois the one time you are supposed to. And when you get through that, usually teams know – after they play the best teams in the conference, what their identity is. And this team thinks it's defense, but we're going to really see what this team is really made of against the lower half of the conference that they're about to face. Um, And when you talk about those two games against Ohio State and Minnesota, those are probably the two most important wins of the rest of the season because if they're able to beat Penn State twice, they beat Northwestern, that's really not going to make your resume any better than it already is. I mean, they're the, they have three ranked road wins in this conference, which is the first time in program history that, that I think they might have the weirdest resume in the country. It's so, it's just like, it's baffling. And, 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 and earlier in the week, ESPN's Joe Lenardi had them as one of the final four teams in the tournament. Um, one of the last four teams in. So they're right on the cusp. 
They need some big wins later in the year. They need to win at home, and I think they'll be able to do it. Um, but it's they they got to get consistent. And we saw a couple straight. We we saw a couple games in a row where Aaron Wiggins was finally getting consistent. Then he fell off for like two games, and then in the first half of Wisconsin, he wasn't really a factor. Second half, he really picked it up. So just having that consistency for a couple games in a row will get them some victories. I really do believe that. Um, it can just be you beat a phenomenal team on the road and you come home and you lose. And that's what happened in, in conference play, at least. That's what happened three times so far after beating those teams on the road in the next game against a conference opponent, they lost. So just it's really honing in on that consistency, trying to string some wins together. Um, but when you look at their record and you look at who they've beaten, it's so odd. I, it's got to be the strangest in the country. It's It really is just, like, baffling and strange, and it's just hard. Like, you know, we asked them earlier of a week before, you know, the game, like, how do you feel um, the kind of identity is developing? And – they kind of seem to be finding it. At least they said they did. But like we said, it then was kind of like just out of there um, when we looked, when we just saw that game. Like it was, it's just very back and forth and, and you don't know what you're going to get. And, and that's the issue, right? Especially when you get to the part of a season, if they were to make the tournament, you can't do that in a tournament. And I don't know what exactly it is it's just hard to pinpoint it um it it doesn't really make any sense you know usually you would have a team and they would make a mistake and um kind of have one of those relaxed games realize that they need to be more intense and it wouldn't happen again but it's just like a back and forth there and you do have to consider how good the big 10 conference is one of the things you and i were talking about is if you look at the numbers and and kind of the deep statistics on Ken Palm, you know, they have the 32nd adjusted uh, offense efficiency in the country, but it's 12th in the Big Ten. You know, their defense is 60th nationally, but 11th in the Big Ten. Uh, they have the worst three-point percentage in the Big Ten, 13th in offensive rebound percentage. Um, and they said they're developing this offensive identity, but – According to the stats, they have one of the worst defenses in, in the conference. Um, so, so it's just tough. Um, you know, currently they're projected to finish 14 and 12, 8 and 11 in conference by Ken Palm with, you know, picking up wins uh, against Purdue, Minnesota, Nebraska, Michigan State, Northwestern, Penn State. I mean, looking at the schedule, I think the only guaranteed win is Nebraska. You mentioned Michigan State, but Tom Izzo is an excellent coach and he can pull off wins. And I don't think there's a huge talent differential, if I'm being completely honest. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, Ohio State's still a tough game. Rutgers is another tough game. And Minnesota, that's another thing where, you know, they're going to come into College Park looking to get a win. Is Maryland going to play like they played the first time or are they going to play like they played Wisconsin the second time? Yeah, you never know what team you're going to get. And 
the, as I mentioned before, the schedule gets easier, but it's still Big Ten teams that can beat anybody. Um, and we've seen that. Um, we saw Michigan State put up 37, I think, against Rutgers. So you just never know what team is going to show up. Um, but they have to be somewhat optimistic that they're through the hardest part of the schedule. Yeah, I mean, that for sure is a good thing for them. But, you know, they have to win the majority of these games coming up, like you said, if they want to make the tournament. And they really – it's at the point of the season where their next game is in February. We're almost at February. This team needs to find a way to mesh better, establish its identity. And also think about it, like Michigan State had a really long break. A lot of these teams in the conference that are still doing well have had long breaks for COVID. Maryland hasn't had to sit out guys for COVID, you know? They've been able to consistently have more practice time than almost any team in the conference has. And it still is not forming. Yeah, I think that's something that's also so interesting with this entire season is like pretty much every day, a new team in the country has issues with COVID and everything. And Maryland's probably had, what, four or five games canceled or postponed because of their opponents' uh, COVID issues. And it's never been on them, at least yet, knock on wood. Um, but it's when you have all that time to practice and everything, you would assume that the consistency would be there. But as soon as they come into games, it's they, they really haven't – They've, they, they've been able to string losses together. They've lost three straight games twice, or rather once. Um, but when you're talking about Power Five, at least, they've lost three twice because they played Clemson, lost Rutgers. I mean, yeah, come won. on. That, that was cupcake team. Well, Sal's a win, and then Purdue lost. But then you lose to Michigan, Indiana, and Iowa in a row as well. They, they haven't been able to string wins in a row since they played those non-conference games, which they do every year. Um, so yeah, I mean, look at those non-conference games, and no team is ranked above 150 on Ken Palm. Like, right. I don't think that means anything. Yeah, um, and that's the thing—they were shooting really well in those games, like really well. But that's and, probably a point to the opposing defense. Yeah, exactly. Just facing these these Big Ten teams and the other Power Five team they played in the ACC was Clemson. Um, I mean, Clemson is one of the best defenses as well. And that showed Maryland only put up 51. They scored 15 in the first half. It's, it's been a struggle. It's really been a struggle. They, they are yet to win back-to-back games against Power 5 teams um, or, or conference teams. And they're going to need to do that at some point in the next however many. I don't even know how many games there are left, but in the next two months or so of the season. They're really going to need to win a couple games in a row um, and, and try to get on a little streak and they might sneak in there in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, they've only scored above, they haven't scored above 70 points in a single big 10 game. They scored, or sorry, they scored 73 against Michigan, 70 against Purdue, but I mean, it's consistency. They've, they've had two 55-point games. If you're just looking at a good team against Rutgers, 51. 
or sorry, a good team against Clemson, 51, Rutgers, 60, Iowa, 67, Michigan, 63, even, even in wins against Minnesota, it's 63, or 66 versus Illinois, 70 versus Wisconsin. Um, just the offense is, is a real problem. And like we said, it needs to be run better. Um, but, I mean, just kind of looking at the, the conference as a whole, it's kind of clear Michigan is the best team. But where do you see kind of the rankings from there? I think without question, Iowa's too. Um, yeah, that's fair. They have the best player in the country. They have arguably the best supporting cast when you're talking about players playing around the best player in the nation. Um, Joe Wieskamp's a future pro who can shoot the ball, another tall guard. And even when you look at Connor McCaffrey's stats and as the point guard there, nothing is special that stands out. Maybe his assists that he averages. He doesn't score a lot. He doesn't rebound the ball. It's his defense and passing that just – he's able to take that backseat kind of and, and find his teammates open. And, I and that's think, the thing, on selfishness. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what Iowa has is their ability to just find the right person to score. And they have the second-best offense in Kempom in the country uh, behind Gonzaga. Um, so I think, I, I think Iowa can make a Final Four. I kind of trust them more than Michigan to do that. Um, and I think that's just the experience. But after that, it's – it's very interesting how the conference kind of looks. Um, I think Ohio State is the most underrated team in this conference. They have looked completely dominant lately. And they're doing it all without C.J. Walker, which is kind of – I think that's even more impressive. Yeah, I mean, they've looked really, really good as of late. I mean, they've had some bad losses. We lost to Northwestern in December. That was by one point. We lost to Purdue earlier, but you look at recent games. They lost to Purdue again, but they've won five of their last six. They knocked off Wisconsin. They knocked off Illinois. They knocked off Rutgers. And then you have a win against Penn State and Northwestern in there as well. And they've, you know, had high scoring in those games. They've scored above 80 points in, in three of those six games. And I just think it's all, all starting to come together for them. Um, I just want to talk about Iowa again for a second. They only have two losses, or three losses rather, um, two in the conference. But the one non-conference loss they had was against Gonzaga, only lost by 11. Um, so I mean, Gonzaga's better than everyone in the country, and yeah. Baylor's up there with them, but it's not even a question. Yeah, just being able to play close to Gonzaga is impressive. Uh, it, it seems like they blow out a team every night, no matter what conference or, or team it is. And then they lose an OT to Minnesota, at Minnesota, and then they lost to Indiana at home. That was probably their only – that's really their only bad loss. And it's still Indiana, a team that can make the tournament as well. I still uh, think Michigan's better, but yes. Yeah, I think – I think Michigan's better, and they're probably going to finish higher than Iowa in the regular season at least. But if I'm making my prediction right now, I'm saying Iowa lasts and goes further than Michigan in the tournament. Um, and after, after, if you're talking about Big Ten standings, I go Michigan, Iowa. 
I think Illinois is third right now, in my opinion. Really? Uh, yes. I think I think them them think losing Illinois is better than both Wisconsin and Ohio State. I don't like Wisconsin at all. I I it's the same thing every year with them where they're expected to be a final four team and they don't make it. And then when they're like a 10 seed, they go far. It doesn't really make any sense. But um, I think this year they'll probably be what, like a three or four, maybe a five seed, maybe higher. I just don't see them. I feel like there's going to be a hiccup in there. Um, And I think Ohio state, has the potential to be peaking too early, which is what my point about Illinois is, is that they've lost several games. They've lost five games already in, uh, in their overall record, three in the conference. I think they are going to peak towards the end of the season at the right time. And when you have, talk about the makeup of a team that tends to go far, it's having a great guard and a great center forward and some depth, and that's exactly what they have. Um, so I think the exact makeup of rosters, at least Iowa and Illinois, are the most similar to me, um, and having good guards and a great forward. So I think those two are the the most made for the tournament. But I think Ohio State and Wisconsin are right behind them, um, and Minnesota's there as well, just because of Marcus Carr. But I don't really like Purdue that much. Rutgers has been struggling, but. Their defense is really good, so I think that they could be right up there as well. I mean, those are all tournament teams, without question. I think Indiana's another tournament team. And then the bottom of the conference with Maryland, Northwestern, Michigan State, Penn State, and Nebraska, that's what it stands at right now. Um, I just – I don't know. It's, it's, it's so weird that Northwestern was ranked, then they lose like seven straight conference games or six straight, whatever it was. I never thought that they – I predicted they lost seven games in a row. Yeah, I predicted them early, I think, 14th or 13th in the conference, right above Nebraska in the preseason. I predicted that. So I never realized, I never really expected them to get that high and be even ranked at all. Um, So I don't trust them. I think if Maryland strings a few wins together, they could be a tournament team. Michigan State as well, just because of their their name and and Izzo. I don't like Penn State and I don't like Nebraska. And Nebraska's only played five conference games, so they're going to have to make up a lot. We'll see if those even get played. I mean, one of those was postponed in Maryland. So Maryland's looking to play Nebraska once in the schedule, but probably twice if that game is made up. And Michigan isn't playing for two weeks. It could be more with discovering the COVID variant in the program. So that means that they're going to miss games – Versus Indiana at Northwestern and versus Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, the, the conference is going to have – I don't even know how hard that is to figure out all these schedule changes, but I'm hoping that all the games get to be played and that all these teams have full resumes for the tournament because I think the Big Ten is going to have most teams in the tournament. Uh, I think it could be – I was saying 11 earlier this year. I think it's last year would have been 10, I think. Uh, but now I'll, I'll say 10 or 11 I'm leaning towards. We'll make You're it. You're projected with 10 right now. Yeah. I, I think I think that Maryland or Michigan State could sneak in there. I'm telling you. I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. I mean, and then looking at, like, college basketball as a whole, I think it's interesting, like, the comparison people have made, like, is the Big Ten better? Is the Big 12 better? 
and I think the Big 12 has better top talent. Or actually, I don't even know. Like, you look at Baylor, Texas, and West Virginia. So are Baylor and Texas better than Michigan and Iowa? I know Baylor is better than any of those teams. Baylor. But how do you think Michigan and um, – yeah, how do you think Michigan stacks up against Texas? I've never been the b- biggest fan of Texas. I I think that – I don't know. I think Michigan has a very well-balanced team. Um, and, I mean, I, when you talk about Baylor, Baylor's the clear second-best team in the nation. It's not even close. Um, but I think you're right in saying that the Big 12 is, is more top-heavy. Uh, I wouldn't even say that they're better at the top than the Big Ten is, but I would say that as a conference themselves, they're top-heavy with Baylor, Texas, Kansas, and West Virginia as well. Um, Those teams are great. All those teams can make a run. And even Texas Tech as well. So I think what's why the Big Ten is the best to me is that those lower teams can be the best. It's so balanced through Michigan to Nebraska. I mean, maybe not Nebraska, but Michigan to Penn State. Not Nebraska. <laughs> Michigan to Penn State, really. Like the, first, the top 13 teams, it seems like every night it's a close game, usually, and anybody can beat anybody, home, home or away. Except for Michigan. Michigan does not have close wins. That's true. But when you look at the Big 12, like Kansas – Texas, Baylor, they're not – I mean, Baylor is being pretty much every team by double digits. They're really not getting tested by the lower part of the conference. Uh, and I think that's why the Big Ten stands out to me as the best right now. Will that change? Maybe. But I think you'll see Gonzaga and Baylor in the Final Four. That's chalk 100%. Maybe Iowa – and maybe Kansas. I don't trust Texas to go far in the tournament. I, I, I think that's the thing, though. Like, sure. what games are going to get canceled because of COVID? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be so interesting, and we'll see how that all plays out. But I think that a Big 12 team in Baylor is, is a lock for the Final Four. And we'll see if Michigan or Iowa or Illinois or any other team can make a run in the Big Ten there to try and get there. I think there's so many capable – in both conferences, and I think this year in college basketball might be the most special in a while, just with everything that's going on and the ability of just pretty much every team in the Big Ten to beat the best, um, and then how good the Big 12 is at the top as well is, is just so impressive. It's just a shame because I feel like you know that Gonzaga or Baylor is going to win it all. Like, those teams just look so good. And I guess anything can happen in an NCAA tournament, but they just they look incredible. And they're both really well-coached teams. Oh, yeah. And some, a team that nobody really talking about right now is Villanova. Still ranked third because they just didn't play it for that long. I right. mean, they had a two-week layoff as well. Only nine games. Um, that, also, Houston is a team that isn't being talked about a lot just because they don't play in a great conference. But yeah. they're ranked pretty high, and Joe Lenardi has them as a two-seed right now. I think this – this is going to be a very, very – it might be the most interesting NCAA tournament, especially Selection Sunday with yeah, – because there's no, like, 
locations in the fact. Yeah. And then also this being my first time covering Maryland as a bubble team for the tournament, I think selection Sunday is going to be very interesting. Yeah. I remember in 2017, 18, like they didn't make the bubble or the, um, they didn't make the bubble. They didn't make the conference. They didn't even make the NIT, but, Maybe it's because I was a freshman, a little naive, but this team feels worse than that to me. And I don't know, maybe it's just because the Big Ten. No, but think about it. The Big Ten was not as talented back then. So they didn't have that factor working in their favor. At least that team was, like, consistent. I don't think it's better, but they were consistent. (laughs) Even if that's consistently bad, at least I knew what I was getting. At least I knew what I was getting. But I mean, looking at before we move on the women's basketball really quick, just to touch on where uh, seating is at at the current moment. This is of January 29th. So he just did it today when we're recording. The number one seeds are Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan and Villanova, which I think makes complete sense. Then at two seeds, you have Texas, Iowa, Alabama and Houston. Alabama's been interesting. Uh, They've been a lot better than I expected them to be. And then at three seeds, you've another Big Ten team in Wisconsin. Uh, Then you've Virginia in there. Missouri, which has been another complete shocker. And then Ohio State. So, I mean, the Big Ten teams are up there. It's not just like that they're low seeds, right? You have Illinois as a as a four seed. I'm confused why he has Kansas as a fourth seed because that they seem like they've taken a huge drop off. But I mean, even Minnesota is a sixth seed. You know, even uh, with some of the losses that they've had, just because people have such good resumes in in this conference. Just like we talked about with the Ken Palm, with how that shifts for Maryland because so many of these teams are just so good. Um, Indiana's a 10 seed. Looking at some of these other teams with Maryland, it could be either them or Seton Hall. Like we said, one of the last four in Rutgers is at 11 right now. And like you said, I think their defense will really help them. I said, Minnesota is a six seed. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the big 10 teams in there. So at first seed, you will have Michigan, then at a two seed, you will have uh, Iowa, as, as I mentioned. Um, that's the only two seed. And then with three seeds, you'll have another team there in Ohio State. At four, you'll have Illinois. I don't believe there's a five team. So then you go to six and you've got Minnesota. I mean, so, so the teams are up there, right? It's not just like that they're in the tournament, you know? Um, so that'll definitely be interesting to see kind of how this matches up. I think so much is going to change in terms of bracketo- bracketology this year and just kind of how all of this works. Um, but I guess that's kind of a perfect transition in the women's basketball because that's a team that I think could win it all. And you had a lot of shakeup with women's basketball this week before we get into specifically Maryland. You had two huge losses that you would really, really not have normally. So yesterday, two huge upsets. NC State 
and UConn, who are both undefeated, number two and three in the country, they both lose. So NC State is, it's not even like, it goes to overtime, but they lose 83 to 71 to an unranked Virginia Tech team. And then UConn loses just a nail biter late to number 19, Arkansas, who Maryland blew out early in the season. Arkansas has now beaten two top five teams. Um, Maryland blew them out earlier. So that's going to shake things up a lot, maybe with the standings this week. If you look at the rankings right now for women's basketball, um, it seems like Louisville is the top team right now. They're the only undefeated um, kind of team up there left. Yeah, they're the only undefeated team in the AP rankings left. Then you have South Carolina at four, UCLA at five, and Stanford uh, at six. And today when we're recording will be an interesting day for the conference, um, especially because you're going to have some of those top teams play again. And if they were able to get upset, like that's huge. Yeah, and something we haven't seen is Maryland get upset. Um, and they don't. I mean, they they quite – it's – Yeah, they lost to the number 14 team in the country, and their other losses to a ranked team as well. Yeah, those are not – in my opinion, those are not loss, bad losses or upsets by any means just because they're ranked, low, they're ranked lower or whatever. But they're not losing to a Wisconsin or, or Rutgers or a lower team, Michigan State, whatever. They Michigan State the is not actually like a lower team, though. I was looking at this. Like Michigan State. I mean, yeah, they were ranked a couple weeks ago, but they were ranked when Maryland beat them on January 7th, now unranked, and got absolutely dismantled yesterday. Or we're recording on Friday, so Thursday. Um, and I think this is a team that is shocking me, at least, when I – so all the departures this offseason and all the newcomers and everything and new assistant coach or Shea Robinson leaves for Ole Miss. Um, you, I mean, I expected them to be phenomenal as they always are, but not this good. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about that game, right? So everything came together in terms of, I think the games in which they've struggled or not even struggled, but like that were closer, it was defense. And that was really the issue against Michigan State and they had incredible defense last night um, you know Michigan State was averaging 81.5 points going into that game so I mean Maryland then holds them uh, to 52 points by far their season low and it's not even close um, Maryland didn't let up when they were ahead. You know, they never let it go. Um, rotation players really stepped up to the task. And that's another thing that's been a question for this team is how far is their depth going to go? Um, but, I mean, they really – every player they play has the ability to score and make an impact. And, you know, this Michigan State team is a really good team. They are ranked 32 in the net rankings. They came into the game with a 9-2 and two record one of those losses was the Maryland they have the best assist assist turnover margin in the conference second in the country and they're fifth in the country in assists per game and those are all areas that Maryland dismantled and I think that's really the key uh, to why this was 
such an incredible win because they dismantled all the areas that Michigan State excels in. If you look at that win, I mean, it's kind of incredible. Maryland forced 24 turnovers and scored 30 points off of those turnovers. So Michigan State had 10 assists and 24 turnovers, and that was something that Brenda Freeze talked about being really impressed about. And then you had four players in double digits. Diamond Miller, who continues to impress, had a double-double. Mimi Collins, who struggled rebounding against – Last time out uh, against Ohio State, came back with nine rebounds. You have Faith Masonis have one of her best games of the season with 13 points, seven rebounds, and five assists. She had a steal as well. Um, even Koslova, she came in, had six points, 50% shooting, made two threes, had three rebounds, had a block and a steal. Um, Katie Benzin continues to be an absolute force. Um, she didn't have her best game. She had nine points on just three triples. So it definitely wasn't her best game, but she still had five assists and three steals. And of course, you know, Owusu continues to impress. Bibby has been a really good pickup. I mean, this team is just so impressive. Um, and it really, you know, they showed their first kind of 40 minutes of play, I think, since the Arkansas game of just completely dominating throughout. And they've had great games where they've played well for like 35 minutes and gotten good wins. But this was a game where they never let off for a second. They had a 17-0 run in, in the first quarter. Yeah, and they were up by 30-something points in the fourth quarter. They were up 40 points at one point, I think. I mean, they won by 40, but when they're up by 30 something, um, there was a call, a very close call where I think the ball might've tipped off Michigan state and they, they said it didn't, but diamond Miller immediately talking to the official about it. Just even when you're up by that many points, they're so engaged in the game. And if a call doesn't go their way, they're still, the emotion is still there. No matter how many points they're up, no matter how many points they're down. And that's what makes the team so great. Um, and just the ability we mentioned of having Owusu and Miller as the two sophomores who have contributed every game. I don't think either of them has had a bad game yet. Um, and you, you see them play 26 and 23 minutes each uh, uh, against Michigan State. But then Bibby adds 26, Collins adds 27, Benzin adds 26, Masonis adds 28, Kozlova and Styles both played double-digit minutes. It's – this whole team is just so balanced and so deep. And um, they're going to get but, Angel Reese back close to the tournament. Right. And despite there only being nine of 11 players active right now, it's still so deep. And you rarely see that. And I thought that – I still think this might be a problem come March when you're playing game, like tough, tough games, um, just having a, a lack of numbers on your bench. But in terms of the talent, I mean, this team is as deep as anybody in the nation. And I think – it they have a chance to win another title here. Um, and I thought they did last year. And it's frustrating that nobody got to see them in the tournament, especially with Kyla Charles, Blair Watson, Steph Jones. But now it's, it's Owusu and Miller who have just taken on this. I mean, we, 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 we knew that they were good last year. And Owusu was Big Ten freshman of the year. But in terms of a sophomore jump, Diamond Miller has made one of the biggest jumps I've ever seen, I think. And yeah, that Owusu was her first well. double-double in Big Ten play. She's been phenomenal, and 
I, I, I think this team, especially when Collins is rebounding the ball well in place of Reese, that's when this team is unbelievable because she did not pick up a single rebound against Ohio State, you mentioned. And she got benched in that game. Um, and that clearly showed her she needed to step up, and she did. Nine points, nine rebounds. It's, it's tremendous. That was the second most rebounds on the team behind Diamond Miller, who had 10. So, I mean, and let's just talk about, like, this team – knows that it's a championship contender. They've talked about it all year, and I really liked what they said after the game. Ashley Owusu said, we lost, so I think teams may underestimate us or think we fell off. But I think today was like a statement win that we're still one of the best teams in the conference and we're just here to stay. And then um, Diamond Miller you know, said herself, like, it's no secret I didn't play the best I could at Ohio State, but you got to move on. We had a fresh start today, and I think we showed that we're capable of being one of the top teams in the country. It's something they consistently talk about, is winning a championship, being one of the best teams in the country. They do not want to feel disrespected. Like, they want everyone to know they're the best team. And they dominated because they want everyone to know, hey, look, we're a contender. We're in this. Yeah, and the thing we talked about earlier on the men's side with picking up a big win and then losing or not being able to, to capitalize after a loss. Um, they, the women's team losing to 14 ranked Ohio state by just two points. I mean, it, it was a last second shot that made it two points. So whatever you want to call it, but they, they lose by two in the end. Um, and then they come out and just absolutely dismantle a team that was ranked last week. Um, and they win by 40. That's what championship teams do is they lose a game and they come back and just dominate. Uh, and there was really no question yet, um, that they were – and you said it. They had a 17-0 run in that game early. Even when the best players were out, they played really well. And that's the thing with them too is like the depth. You really just – like you see a Wusu and Miller off the floor, you're like, oh, they're still competing just as well. And I think that's so impressive. But what impresses me individually with Benzin shooting 50, 50, and 90, 50% from the floor, 50% from three, and 90% from free throw, she's one of two players in the country to be doing that. And she's, if she continues, it will be the first ever in program history to finish the season like that. But yesterday as a team, they shot 49.3, so just around 50 from the field, 50% from three, and 92% from the free throw line. I mean, they just shoot the ball as good as anybody. Uh, and then their defense on the other end with long players like Diamond Miller gets her hands in every passing lane. Baby six one. They just create so many steals and blocks. And Masonis' defense as well. It's she's team- such an underrated defender. She's such a good defender. Like yeah. their pressure yesterday was they, they looked so good on the press yesterday. And that that's what that, like she rarely fills the stat sheet because her defense and her rebounding is there, just like tipping passes away and things like that. But she did it yesterday. I mean, thirteen point seven boards. You mentioned all of it, um, and and five assists. Yeah, and that, that's another factor. Wait, yeah, that's another five. factor. Yeah, that's another factor that really pushes this team to the next level. Um, right. And I'm, I, I think they can compete with with anybody. And I'm interested to see if they move up at all in the rankings, despite losing on Monday, with with the shakeup you mentioned of UConn losing and NC State losing. Um, so we'll see what really happens if there will be a lot of shift in the top seven. Uh, I think this this is a, is a special team that Brenda Freeze has. And I want to mention that 
They their win against Michigan State was their 100th in the Big Ten play in regular season since joining the conference in 2014. And then Brenda Freeze is now one win shy at Maryland. She is 498, uh, one win shy of tying the record with Chris Weller. Um, so Chris Weller coached here from 1975 to 2002, so about 27 seasons. And when you look at Brenda Freeze, who's one win shy of tying a record, in is just in the middle of her 19th year here. So talk, when you talk about greatness from Brenda Freeze, I mean, it's every year she's had a team that can win it all. and. And let's talk about those 100 Big Ten regular season victories. They've had 13 regular season losses. That's it. That is their record of Big Ten regular season play, 100 to 13. That's like one of the most impressive dominant dynasty teams in any sport at any level. It really is. They just just find ways to win all the time. So – I guess kind of we'll wrap up just talking a little bit about non-conf, I'm sorry, non-revenue sports that are kind of getting underway. The Big Ten is kind of a mess right now uh, in terms of scheduling with these fall sports coming over to being in the spring and spring sports. We barely have any schedules yet. We have volleyball underway, field hockey, there's still no schedule. Men's soccer, women's soccer will be starting towards the end of February. Uh, we're still waiting on the lacrosse schedules and baseball and, and kind of all of those schedules as well. But just kind of one significant thing uh, with men's soccer is Ben and Matt DeRosa were both drafted uh, by the MLS, first twins ever drafted. And they just announced today that they are not going to be playing their senior season. They're not going to be playing this season. So that that's a big loss for men's soccer right there. Yeah, huge. But um, when you talk about the talent that Sasha Sarovsky is able to bring in, I mean, he's, he's – And his coaching ability. Yeah, that too. And the, his ability to win and everything. Um, but I, I think he's probably already looking for maybe transfers to bring in or really anybody that wants to, to – or that he believes can take their place. Um, so despite it being a huge loss, it's so impressive that those guys were able – to get drafted as twins and they've been inseparable. Everybody talked about that since the day they were born. I don't think they've spent like more than 24 hours apart ever, which is absurd, but now they will playing for two different teams, uh, one for Toronto and then for NYCFC. So technically two different countries, although Toronto and New York are fairly close. Um, but I think Sarovsky is going to be able to find players to come in and contribute in their place. And he's always put together teams that can win it all. So that's another thing. It's like women's basketball and men's soccer, women's lacrosse, field hockey, just absolute dynasties every year. One team I think that is going to take a big leap this year is women's soccer. They took a huge leap last year um, with earning, you know, a 9-8-3 record, getting five wins in conference, which they hadn't been able to do. Um, since I believe since joining I'm, I'm checking right now I know it was one of their best in recent years it was actually one of their best seasons since the late 90s um, because this kind of a soccer program has just needed to be revitalized um, and yeah they hadn't ever won five games in conference it was you know one of their best records and um, they're returning a ton of players and I think that just that momentum is, is going to continue sh- to shift upward every year under Ray Leone has just got better and better and I think that could be a team that could 
finally be able to pull off, you know, seven wins in conference or something like that. Yeah, and men's lacrosse has yet again uh, racked in the preseason honors individually. Um, USI LA came out with their All-America team. Jared Bernhardt was named second team. He decided to come back um, for another season. Second team All-American in preseason. Bubba Fairman, a third team All-American in preseason. And then Justin Shockey, Roman Puglisi, and Logan Wisnowskis were named honorable mention All-Americans. So we know how good they are every year um, and expect nothing less. I mean, they're preseason number two. Um, so they're another dynasty that we keep talking about with these uh, non-revenue sports. But when you look at baseball as well, I think that's another team. You mentioned women's soccer on a rise, baseball on a rise as well. They haven't really established themselves as a Big Ten com competitor yet, but I think this might be the year that they do that um, with three All-Americans in the preseason for, according to the perfect game, that was the outlet that named Sean Burke, a preseason All-American. Um, you had Randy Bednar, an outfielder, and then Maxwell Costas as well. And the same outlet named Sean Burke, the preseason Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. And then Division One Baseball just named Maxwell Costas the Big Ten Player of the Year in the preseason. So That does not shock me at all. <laughs> not at all. I mean, these are three guys that are going to the MLB at some point. I think all three after this year, to be honest. Um, despite the draft being shortened in the MLB now because of everything, uh, I still think that they all, th all three have a shot to get picked. I think Maxwell Costas is a shot to be a first-round pick if he's able to have a great season. So, And they bring in really talented freshmen as well. Yeah, they have great freshmen, all draft prospects. A couple of the sophomores that were freshmen last year don't know what their eligibility will look like. If, if they'll be redshirt freshmen or anything, we, I, I still have no idea how that's going to look with the shortened season last year. But uh, as far as their class, they are sophomores, and they're all draft prospects as well. So that's a team that I really think has a chance to compete at the top of the Big Ten this year, potentially. Um, and if, if everything goes the way with a Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament, you could see Maryland sneak in there. I really think so. And we're going to wrap up from there, but there, as we mentioned, so many sports coming up. So we're here to answer all of your questions. We're probably going to be doing a mailbag on the site. We can answer some of them on the podcast here. So just DM us on Twitter at Testudo Times, or you can email us at testudotimes at gmail.com. We're going to put it in the document in the uh, story for this as well. Uh, so you guys can comment on the podcast there, any questions you have too. Uh, and we'll continue to have all of your coverage at tosuotimes.com. Thank you guys so much for listening.